Well, welcome. Good morning. Welcome, visitors. I've spotted some. And of course, I always welcome those of you online. It would be nice to have you here in these two rows. They're empty, but everybody else is full. And so I want to welcome you to New Hope Chapel's celebration of the resurrection. Amen. Feliz Pascuas. Happy Easter. And this morning, the title of my sermon, as you gauged from your outline, from your handout, is that it's the hope of the resurrection. And my text is 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1 through 20. And that's also printed in your handout with the sermon outline for your easy reference. Now this morning, I want you to take particular attention to God's word in 1 Corinthians 15. And I want you to find your place in that message, in that scripture. You know, we're all different. I love Easter. It's my favorite holy day of the year. But I like evergreens. But just give me the empty tomb. You know, without the empty tomb, the cross is unimportant. Without the empty tomb, the cradle is insignificant. And the cradle might be the start of the Christian faith. And the cross might be the sign of a Christian faith. But it's the tomb, the empty tomb, that is the source of the Christian faith. So listen, without the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, which is the crowning proof of Christianity, without the resurrection, if it did not take place, then Christianity is a fake, false religion. And so this morning, dear Lord, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. Amen? You know, if ever there was a day that gives us hope, it's resurrection Sunday. And in fact, that's why the church gathers week by week on Sunday, the Lord's Day, for worship, rather than Saturday, the Sabbath. And we gather to celebrate and commemorate the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. Think about it. Every Sunday is a celebration of the empty tomb. It's a celebration that Jesus is alive. It's the empty tomb of Jesus that gives us hope. Hope in the here and now and hope in the hereafter. But don't get the idea that the hope that I'm talking about is a hope so kind of hope. No. I'm talking about a no-so kind of hope. The hope of forgiveness, the hope of peace, the hope of assurance, the hope of heaven. And that hope is centered in the person of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And it certainly was for King David. See, he wrote in Psalm 39, 7, my hope is in you. And in Psalm 71, 5, David writes, for you are my hope, O Lord God, you are my trust for my youth. Listen, with your hope in the resurrected Jesus, you can and you will make it. You know, I don't know of a sadder word in the English language than hopeless. When my father passed away in September of 1982, I sorted his belongings 
And I came across his seventh grade report card. Now this might, for you educators, you might find this interesting. In the fall of 1935, his seventh grade report showed the grading scale on the back of it. A, B, C, D, and F. And something I had never seen before, the letter G. I never knew there was a grade you could get below F. But back then there was. I mean, what could be worse than F, which is failure? Well, worse than F was a G. And besides that letter was a one-word explanation in the back. It said, hopeless. Now you talk about a bad semester. Hopeless, worse than failing, was hopeless. And that is the life without Jesus Christ. Hopeless. But what makes Resurrection Sunday a time of celebration is the hope of the resurrection. And that's what I want to talk to you about for just a few short minutes this morning. On this Resurrection Sunday morning through 1 Corinthians 15. And I want to remind you in the words of Alistair Begg. He says, I've come to preach not on something you didn't know but to remind you of something you should never forget. And so we begin this discussion this morning with our text, 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 4. And that states, Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received and in which you stand, by which also you are saved. If you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain, for I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. Now as we think about the hope of the resurrection, consider with me first in your outline the announcement of the resurrection. Now you talk about hope. You know that God has done everything necessary for your sins to be forgiven and for your guilt to be removed, for peace to rule in your life and for you to know with certainty that you are headed for heaven. What did God do to make all of this possible? Well, we can look at the announcement and we have a three-part announcement here beginning in verse 3. The first part is this, Jesus has paid for our sins. And verse 3 reads, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. It's not unusual for someone to die. People die all the time. You know, the Bible says in Hebrews 9.27, and it is appointed for men to die once, but after this, the judgment. I suspect that's one appointment you're probably going to have to keep and then get judged. But verse 3 says that Christ died for our sins, not for judgment. And you ought to circle the word for, and here's why. The Greek word used here means substitution. And with that, what is a substitute? That's somebody who fills in for somebody else. And that is what Jesus did on the cross. He was your substitute and my substitute. He filled in for us. He took your place, my place. He died your death so that you might live his life. Amen. Again, verse 3 states <clears throat> that Christ died for our sins. Jesus 
paid the penalty for your sins before holy God. And he bled so that you might be forever blessed. He suffered that you might be forever saved. And he died that you might be forever delivered. If you think about that, you'll thank God for the hope of the resurrection. Again, verse 3 states, For Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. What scriptures? The Old Testament scriptures. For example, Isaiah 53, verses 5 and 6. Verse 5 states, But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him. And by his stripes we are healed. By his stripes we are healed. Listen, not bodily healing, but spiritual healing. Spiritually from an everlasting death. That's why Isaiah keeps writing, verse 6, listen, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. That's damnation that we are saved and healed from, not broken bones or diseases. And also when Jesus died on the cross, 25 prophecies were recorded in the Old Testament, were literally fulfilled within hours of each other. And thank God for the hope of the resurrection. But there's more to this announcement. First, Jesus has paid for our sin. The next, part two, Jesus has put away our sin. Our text, verse 4, states, and that he was buried. Jesus died, and he was buried. Isaiah 53, 9 says, and they made his grave with the wicked. So what does the burial of Jesus have to do with the gospel? What does the burial of Jesus have to do with the hope of the resurrection? Well, listen to Jeremiah 31, 34. For I will forgive their iniquity and their sin I will remember no more. See, the word forgive means to put away. Do you see that? Jesus not only paid for our sins, he also put away our sins. It wasn't just Jesus that was buried in that tomb. Our sins were buried in that tomb with him. And that's a part of the hope of the resurrection, that Jesus Christ not only went to the cross for you, he went to the tomb for you. He not only took your place on the cross, he took your place in that tomb. And that's why the burial of Jesus was part of the announcement of the resurrection For our sins were buried with Jesus in the tomb. And Jesus paid for our sin. And yes, Jesus put away our sin. But notice in verse 4 that Jesus prevailed over our sin. And that is part 3. And so again, verse 4 states, and that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. Listen, when Paul announced this in verse 3, that Jesus had died for our sins, he used the past tense. When he announced in verse 4 that Jesus was buried, again he used the past tense. But when he announced in verse 4 that Jesus rose again the third day, he uses the present tense. It could be translated 
and that he rose again the third day, and he continues to be risen. In other words, this was not a physical resuscitation. It was a physical resurrection. Jesus is alive to die no more. And he was alive in that Sunday. He's alive on this Sunday, and he'll be alive next Sunday and all the days in between. We sing, we have a risen Savior who's in the world today. No resurrection, no Easter. No Easter, no hope. And let me show you what I mean. So in your outline, consider the absence of the resurrection. Now I want us to pick it up from verses 12 to 19, which I'll read. Now if Christ has preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there's no resurrection of the dead? But if there's no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty and your faith is also empty. Yes, and we are found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he did not raise, if in fact the dead do not rise. For if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile. You're still in your sins. Then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men the most pitiable. Suppose there had been no resurrection. Suppose Jesus Christ was still in in the grave. Suppose we were living in the absence of the resurrection. That's what Paul is addressing in these verses. Verse 14 states, And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty. You know, six times Paul in these passages talks about if. For example, if there has been no resurrection, our preaching is empty. That means without purpose. I've wasted the last 28 years of my life studying, preparing, and preaching. I would have been better off playing golf this morning than to be up here preaching the word of God if Jesus Christ is still in the grave. And you've wasted your time coming here every week listening to the preaching every week, the preaching of God's word, because there is no profit in preaching if Jesus is still in the grave. And also, listen, your faith is also empty. Verse 14 states clearly, and your faith is also empty. We all know Romans 10.9. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart, that God has raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. You shall be saved, that is, unless Jesus is still in the grave. After all, who wants to put their faith in a Jesus that is dead? Now, how do you know Jesus is the Son of God? How do you know that the Bible is true? I'll tell you. God brought Jesus Christ out of that tomb, and by doing so, he placed his stamp of approval on all that Jesus said and did. That's how. And we praise him for his confirmation. But without the resurrection, our preaching is empty, our our faith is empty, and our witness of God is false. Consider verse 15. Yes, 
And we are found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ whom he did not raise up if in fact the dead do not rise. If there is the absence of resurrection and Jesus is still in the grave, it's not that we were merely mistaken. He's saying, no, you are false witnesses. Do you know what a false witness is? It's somebody who sits on the witness stand in a courtroom and knowingly and willingly perjures himself and becomes a liar. A false witness tells lies. Now somebody says, how do you know that the disciples were telling the truth about the resurrection of Jesus Christ? How do you know what Paul says beginning in verse 5 is true? He said, he was seen by Cephas and then by the twelve. Verse 6, he was seen by over 500 brethren all at once. He goes on to say that they're still alive, most of them. They can be questioned. Verse 7, he was seen by James and then by all the apostles. Verse 8, he was also seen by me. Over and over, Paul says of the resurrected Jesus, he was seen, he was seen, and he was seen. How can we know for sure that what they said was true regarding the resurrection of Jesus. Because most of them paid with their blood for their testimony regarding Jesus' resurrection. They suffered for it, they bled for it, they died because they believed it. You know, a man may live for a lie, but he won't die for one. They said Jesus is alive, and because of that belief, they sealed their testimony with their lives. And if Jesus Christ is still in the grave, those disciples were fakes, frauds, and fools, and they created the biggest scam on earth. But I'll tell you something else about the absence of the resurrection. If Jesus is still in the grave, you are still in your sins. Consider verse 17, and it states, if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile, you are still in your sins. You know, futile is a different word than empty that he used earlier. The word empty, kinos, in verse 14, simply means without purpose, without result. But the word futile, matanea, means a lie, the absence of truth. In other words, if Jesus is not risen, if Jesus is still in the grave, then your faith is a lie and your faith has no truth in it. No resurrection, no Savior. No Savior, no forgiveness. No forgiveness, then the penalty of your sin is upon you. And that penalty that is upon you destines you for death and hell because you are still in your sin. Now listen to this. If Jesus is still in the grave, the dead are forever gone. Verse 18 states, Then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. That means your, your godly mother, your, your godly father, your godly siblings, your godly friends are gone forever and you will never see them again. They are in the grave to decay gone forever. What came to mind as I was reflecting on these thoughts was Shakespeare's play, Measure for Measure. One of the 
actors, one of the characters was Claudio. They were looking to assassinate him, to kill him. He was a man without hope, and that's why he said this, I but to die, and go we know not where. To lie in cold obstruction, and to rot. Well, that's what Paul was talking about. No hope if Christ did not rise. And then he says in verse 19, if in other words, if this is all there is, if we're going to be the most pitiable, then we are in big trouble. See, life without Jesus would be a big joke. Life without Jesus leads to a hole in the ground. And life without Jesus is hopeless. And hopeless, as we've learned, is worse than failing. But thank God on this Resurrection Sunday that it doesn't end there. I'm going to ask the praise team, while I still continue with my sermon, that they would take the platform quietly so that we might have a closing song. Now this morning... We have heard the announcement of the resurrection. <clears throat> we have considered the absence of the resurrection. And third, in your outline, the accomplishment of the resurrection. And here it is. Verse 20. But now Christ is risen from the dead, and because Christ is risen from the dead, he's taken the sting out of death. He has taken the gloom out of the grave, and he's taken the dread out of eternity, and has given us a hope that is sure. Again, verse 20, but now Christ is risen from the dead. You know, I learned about a Russian leader, Vladimir Lenin, when we were in Russia, and I googled it again to read about his present condition. Since 1924, the people in Moscow have lined up to see the corpse of Lenin in Red Square. Their government spends a reported $1.5 million a year to preserve and maintain that mummy. You know, with a hydraulic lift, they lower the corpse into the ground every night to keep it cool. And they have a recorded message for all to hear regarding Lenin, and this is what they say. He was the greatest leader of all the people of all countries of all times. He was the Lord of the new humanity. He was the Savior of the world. Now there is somebody's opinion. Listen, the key is was. He was, he was, he was. But now Christ is risen from the dead if you go to the tomb where Jesus was laid, you'll find simply an empty grave. And that empty grave tells us that there is hope, hope in the here and now and hope in the here and after. And remember, worse than failure is hopelessness. Again, Romans 10, 9. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. And he is risen. There is hope, and that hope is found in the resurrected Jesus. Amen? Amen. I want you all to stand.
if you're able, and stand for our final song in closing. Standing indicates your expression of worship that you are extending to your Lord and Savior, the Christ Jesus, the risen Savior. Amen. I serve a risen Savior. He's in the world today.
Reminded by one of the ushers, I never took an offering. I was so excited about the fact that he had risen, that seems to be the most important topic. Woohoo! So, uh, all of those of you online, send it in. <laughs> the ushers are going to be standing in the back seeking alms. Each of them will have a little plate. Please take your offering to the back and drop it off before you leave. And one thing I was told to announce that there's dishes and food in the back in the fellowship hall. If they belong to you, the dishes or the food, take them home. If it's good food, leave it. I'll take it home. So let's go forth now and let's celebrate our risen Lord. Amen. <laughs> 